with us here is uh, Venerable Youth Dhamma of Canada to give us a Dhamma talk and to conduct a meditation session. To say something about Sri Subhuta Ramaya, it's a temple in Ruhunukura Thalavatukura and it's headed by Venerable Medeiri Pitya Tapasji, who had been a very respected Dhamma Acharya at Ananda College, which is one of the foremost Buddhist schools in Sri Lanka. Of course, uh, Venerable Medeiri Pitya Tapasji is now retired and he has dedicated his life to the religious and spiritual upliftment of the people of this locality and the society at large. Uh, there are Dharma forums and other religious programs periodically conducted here, uh, special Sida, Dana, and Bhavana programs on four days and on other occasions, and uh, assisted by the Daya Sabha and the other incumbents of this uh, temple, uh, Venerable Tapasi is serving the needs of these people in terms of uplifting their spirituality and also catering to their uh, religious needs. So in line with these noble objectives, the organizers, together with permission from President Tapasi, has thought it fit to invite Venerable Youth Dhammo today for this Dhamma talk, which will be followed by a question and answer session and then a meditation session. After I have finished my short introduction to Venerable Youth Dhammo, uh, the proceedings proper will start and it will go on for one hour. And the question and answer session also can go to a maximum of one hour. And then the meditation session will be followed again for one hour. To tell something about Venerable Yudhadamo, he's a Canadian-born Theravadi Buddhist monk. He was ordained in 2001 under the guidance of Venerable Ajahn Tong Sirimangalo of Chiang Mai, Thailand. He has practiced intensive and daily meditation following the Mahasai Sayadaw tradition since January 2000. He has studied Sanskrit, Pali, and Indian religion at McMaster University and University of Toronto. He has studied formal Thai Dhamma, Abhidhamma, and Pali at Wat Pradhatu Sri Chong Thong in Thailand. And he teaches Pali to advanced meditators from time to time. He has been teaching intensive meditation in Thailand, Sri Lanka, USA, and Canada since 2003 and he gives online teachings via YouTube, both live and pre-recorded. He gives Dharma talks in both English and Thai to both intensive meditators and by invitation to the general public. In addition to his physical presence in different countries, Reverend Yutta Dhamma uses the internet and the social media like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and weblogs extensively in reaching out to a vast global audience in the propagation of the Noble One's message. Now, I would very respectfully invite Reverend Vitudamo to comment the proceedings proper and to focus ourselves well. Let's 
all say the namaskar part together and then Reverend Vittadamo will set us, will guide us through Panchasila. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang saranang gachami Dhammang saranang gachami Sanghang saranang gachami Dutiyampi buddhang saranang gachami Dutiyampi dhammang saranang gachami Dutiyampi sanghang saranang gachami Tatiyampi buddhang saranang gachami Tatiyampi dhammang saranang gachami Tatiyampi sanghang saranang gachami Vānātipātā vēlamani sikāpadaṁ samādhyāmi Adinnā dāna vēlamani sikāpadaṁ samādhyāmi Kāme sukmichācāra vēlamani sikāpadaṁ samādhyāmi Musāvādā vedamani sikhāpadaṁ samādhyāmi Surāme rayatmajjapamādhattāna vedamani sikhāpadaṁ samādhyāmi But I'm now I can talk, no? Yes. All right. Today I've been invited to speak uh, the Dhamma. I've been asked to talk today about Vedana. So this is obviously my first time being here, my first time meeting all of you 
So I will try to give a general overview of Vedana, the idea of Vedana, but then I will try to apply it to the practice of Satipatthana meditation, the meditation that the Buddha taught us was the one-way path, the Ekayana Magga. So try to make it practical. And I understand then we'll have some time for questions and then for meditation practice. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me here. Um, this is also my first time doing talks in Sri Lanka. I was here two years ago for two years, but I mainly stayed to myself. I taught a little bit on television, but I mainly was working on a forest monastery near Mitrigana. And so now I've come back for a month and at the invitation of Sanka and his father and his family, I have come back to teach. Actually, I've wanted to come back for some time, but uh, I can't just go out and buy a ticket, no? And so I, Sanka asked if I would be coming to Sri Lanka, and I said, well, I, I, I can't just get on a plane and come. I need a ticket. And he said, well, then he would get me a ticket. And so well, thanks to him and, and his family, I've been able to come back. So today I'm, I will be talking about Vedana. Vedana, first of all, we, we understand, we have to talk about, we'll move from what we know about Vedana and I will talk about some of the things that you may not know about Vedana. And then we will try to see how it fits into our practice. What we know about Vedana, everyone should know, is that it's one of the five khandhas. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, this everyone should know. If you don't, then you have to brush up on your Buddhist theory. It's one of the four Namadhammas. So there are, f of, the, of the five aggregates, they're like a, the fingers on a hand. You have Rupa, and then you have Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. This Rupa is Rupa. Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, this is Nama. So these ones go together and, and, and together with Rupa they make up the five khandhas. It's one of the 52 jetasikas. So in, in, in an ultimate sense it's one of the the mental concomitants that arises in all minds. Every mind will have a, a Vedana associated with it. So it's, uh, it's an aspect, it's a universal aspect of the mind. So this should all be fairly familiar. We should all also be aware, those of us who have studied the Satipatthana, should be aware that it's one of the four Satipatthana. Now the four Satipatthana are in some ways, just another way of explaining the five khandhas. It's, it's, it's really very much the same thing. Rupa khanda is kaya nupasana. Vedana khanda is vedana nupasana. You know, they are cognates. 
So when you practice kaya, kaya nupasi, viharati. When you practice dwelling, seeing the body in the body, this is rup, this is paying attention to rupakanda. Vedana su vedana nupasi viharati. You're paying attention to vedana kanda. Jitte jatanupasi viharati, that's referring to vinyana kanda. And dhammi dhammanupasi viharati, that's the, the other two kandas, yeah, sanya and sankhara. They are in the dhammanupasana. In the, in the Dasaka Nipata of the Anguttara Nikaya, there's a very interesting sutta, Mulaka Sutta. If anyone, some of you must have heard this sutta. There are these ten dhammas that the Buddha asked the monks, in regards to all dhammas, what is the root? King Mula, King Mula, King Mula, what is the root? And the monk said, well, you have to tell us, Venerable Sir. And he went on, what is the root, what is the, ten different things, what is the cause, what is the... And Vedana, when he asked, King Samosana, Samosana, what is the meeting place of all Dhammas? King Samosana Sabadhamma, Sabedhamma. The Buddha said, Vedana, Vedana Samosana. It is the meeting place, the place where all Dhammas come together. In the Abhidhamma, it describes Vedana as the, the king. Know if you've heard this, when food comes in the royal palace, there is the cook and there is the servant and there, is, there are all of the people involved in preparing the meal. And then there is even uh, the one who brings it to the king. But it's only the king who tastes the food. The king is the one who, who, who actually tastes the flavor of the food. And in the same way, Vedana, Vedana is the taste of the food. It is the tasting of the food. So when you see something, or you hear something, or you feel something, or you think something, Vedana is this taste of the food, taste of the experience. The word Vedana itself comes from Ved, the root Ved or Vid, which means to, to know or to experience. It's the essence of experience. So it's wherever, where all of the preparation of the food comes comes to culmination is in, in the, with the king, when the king tastes it. Vedana is, in, is the same. All of our experience comes together in Vedana. So what this can, can help us understand is how important Vedana is. Some teachers will focus exclusively on Vedana, or, or especially on Vedana, as their focus of, of meditation practice as a result. A good reason for this, for understanding why this is, is we look at the next place, important place where Vedana takes place, is in Paticca Samupada. 
Paticca Samupada is, is divided roughly into three, can be divided roughly into three groups. You have the, the uh, objective experience. This is from, actually from Vijnana to Vedana. You know, when you, when you have experience, there is the vijnana, nama, rupa, salayatana, the six senses. And at the six senses, there arises pasa, this contact. Because of contact, there is vedana. Now, up until this point, the mind is still pure, right? When you experience pain or, or, or pleasure, or equanimity in regards to an object, the mind is still pure. When you hear my voice, the sound of my voice doesn't... Uh, there, there's nothing ethically uh, variable in my voice. Hearing my voice is just hearing. At the moment when you hear, there's no ethical decision-making. So up until the point, even if, if uh, I shout really loudly, no. even if I say something that you don't really like, that some, say something mean or nasty or something wrong about the Buddha or so on, at the moment when you hear it, there's still just Vedana, still just actually a neutral feeling at the ear because my, the sound can't hurt your uh, the ear the the uh, what we call sadhapasad you know the the sensitive the ear sensitivity you know, the sense the ear sense you know, we have the eye sense the ear sense the nose sense the tongue the body and and the mind is receive the object you can't hurt them. If I shout really loudly into your ear, I'm not actually hurting the ear sensitivity. I may be hurting the, the body, the physical aspect. But the ear sensitivity still receives it with a neutral feeling. But even the pain, you know, if you're sitting a long time on the floor, you'll start to feel pain in the back or in the legs or whatever. Even that pain is received without any ethical quality to it. You, know, you, you, you feel dukkha vedana, but your mind is still pure at that moment. So this is why they say, but this is the last moment. Vedana is the last point where this is true. The problems, all the reason why we're studying Buddhism, the reason why we're interested in meditation practice, start here. So if you want to... Uh, if you want to understand the salient or the most important point of our practice, it's right here. This is where you have to study. Because Vedana Pachaya Tanha. Based on Vedana, with Vedana as, as a, a condition, there arises Tanha. And we know Tanha is a problem. If you know anything about Buddhism, you know that tanha is a very important dhamma, no? 
Of all the Dhammas, what is Tanha? It is the Samuddhaya. Dukkha Samuddhaya. Not, this, not the cause of all Dhammas, but it's the cause of all unwholesomeness, the cause of suffering. Kama Tanha, Bhava Tanha, Vibhava Tanha. It comes from here, it comes after Vedana. So this is why many teachers will focus on Vedana. They'll take Vedana as their object and have the meditator focus on Vedana. Now there are other teachers who will focus on the mind. Some teachers will, will, will focus on what they call Jittanupasana. This means getting the meditator to focus on understanding the mind. And there's good reason for that as well. But Vedana is quite special. I was ta I was it was suggested to me that I should take a sutta from the Vedana Sangyutta, but I'm going to have to decline because I'm not really a scholar monk. And for me to just pick one sutta out of the Vedana Sangyutta, I looked through it and I thought, "There's that's not not the way I um, I'm not qualified to do that." So instead, I'm going to give. It's not even, it's not qualified, it's, um, that wouldn't be an easy thing for me to do. Because in Thailand we're not taught to take one sutta. It's not, it's not, com uh, not familiar to, uh, to us to do that. We're, we're taught to take the Dhamma. So if you give a, a Dhamma, like Vedana, then I can give a talk, we give a talk on, on Vedana. So. But the point being that there is a whole Sangyutta devoted to Vedana. That's how important it is. And as I've said, it is, the, it is where everything gathers together. Now in our meditation practice, this, this sort of wraps up our understanding of what is Vedana and where it comes into play in the Dhamma. Now how it relates to our practice, well we, it, it's we can't just take some teacher's word for the the advice that they give that we should focus on this dhamma or that that dhamma. We have to take the we do much better anyway to take the tradition, the tipitika and the commentaries that are, are ancient and well respected. Um, we're more likely to get the a clear picture of what we should focus on in our meditation. So, if we ask, where does Vedana fit into our meditation? We have this, um, probably the clearest answer to this question, we have in the Satipatthana Sutta, the commentary to the Satipatthana Sutta. Now, there was a wonderful Sri Lankan monk, Somatera, who did a wonderful translation of the Satipatthana Sutta, the Satipatthana Commentary, and the Satipatthana Sub-Commentary. And it's av freely available from the Buddhist Publication Society and on the internet, and everyone should, should definitely read this book. It's, if you, anyone who's interested in Satipatthana and understanding Satipatthana, so the answer we have here in regards to where to focus our practice actually comes in the answer to a different question. And the question that is asked, 
is why are there four satipatthana? Why did the Buddha come up with four? And you might think it's a bit of a silly question. You'd say, though, the Buddha came up with four, that's that. He came up with five aggregates, he came up with five uh, faculties, five powers, no? We have four of this and five of that, but the commentary isn't content with that answer. It's because the Buddha taught four that there are four. Because there's, as I said, it's basically the five aggregates. If you look at it, it, it could easily be summed up, well, why don't we just practice the five aggregates? And, ah, but you see, the five aggregates aren't a meditation practice. The five aggregates are theory. And the Buddha didn't teach them to practice them. Instead, he rearranged them, and he rearranged his Dhamma to fit into four categories. And he called this the Ekayanamaga. So he didn't just uh, teach this as a side uh, product or, or a, a secondary Dhamma. He said this is the Ekayanamaga. Ekayana means one way. So it's direct. You could even call it the only way. And I think that's what uh, well, many teachers have, have, have described it as that. So the answer the commentary gives actually more than one answer. But the first answer that they give is that the four satipatthana are taught to correspond with the four vipalasa dhammas. Now, vipalasa means, means misapprehension or, or perversion of perception, or perversion in general. And the four vipalasa means the four types of confusion or, or misunderstanding or uh, perversion of, of or perversion in general. The word perversion is, I think, well, it's a fairly good word, except that in English it is used in different ways. But here it means something not right. Incorrectness. I don't know if there's such a good word in English. First of all, the four vipalasa, before we get into the four vipalasa, understand what do we mean by, by perversion, what do we mean by this? There are three levels of, of perversion. Maybe some of you know that we have sanya vipalasa, uh, citta vipalasa, and ditti vipalasa. Uh, sanya vipalasa means the perversion of perception. So you perceive something incorrectly. <coughs> you, you step on a rope and you jump up in the air thinking it's a snake. Anyone's ever done this? Have you ever walked into a dark room and stepped on a piece of rope? It's one of the scariest things. You jump up in the air and think it was a snake. This is misperception. It's not what the Buddha meant here, but this is an example. Jitta uh, vipalasa means a thought. So if you then think, that's a snake that I just stepped on. Well, that's even worse. Most people, when they step on the rope, they, they, they realize how foolish they were after they jumped. They realize, though, that wasn't a snake. That was just my sanya. My sanya thought that that was a snake, but my jitta doesn't think that. My thoughts are clear that that wasn't a snake. But some people might, was that a snake? 
I think that was a snake I just stepped on. When I was in uh, Ratnapura, up on this mountain, I stayed overnight and in the morning they invited me down for tea at 6 a.m. But at 6 a.m. it was still dark, so I walked down, was walking down and I was looking and was chanting the Kanda Pranita. And then I came to a dark patch. And I thought, well, mm. I thought to myself, I bet there's a snake in there. Uh, wow. And so I stepped and I put one step into this dark patch and boom, I got something sharp touched my foot. And it felt like a stick. And I shook my leg and the stick whatever it was, whacked against the side of my leg and then, and then f fell off. And I wasn't sure whether it was a stick or a snake. And so I reached down and I felt a pain in my foot and I thought, I think I was just bitten by a snake. And sure enough, when I got up into the light and saw there were two bite marks on my foot and my foot started to swell up, So jitta vipalasa is when, when you, have, uh, you, you think something wrong. Now these are mundane examples. This isn't exactly what we mean. I'll explain exactly what we mean when we talk about the four vipalasa. But you understand the difference between sanya and jitta. The third one is diti. So diti vipalasa is when you get wrong view. So I thought it was a stick that hit my foot. That's a thought that's misperception. Um, a wrong thought. It's wrong. It wasn't a stick. But then if, if even when I look at the bite marks on my foot, I, I, I believe, when you start to believe something, that's called ditiwipalasa. Now in a mundane sense, these are, are harmful. But they are not ethically harmful. They, are not, they do not create bad karma. They are not a cause for bad karma necessarily. They're just mistakes. But in regards to the Dhamma, there are four vipalasa that are ethically uh, harmful and do lead to suffering, do lead to bad karma, and do lead to akusala. They are akusala. And these are uh, subha vipalasa, the perversion of beauty, sukha vipalasa, perversion of happiness, nitya vipalasa, perversion of permanence, and atta vipalasa, perversion of self, or misapprehension. So subha vipalasa means um, with sanya, it means you think, you, you perceive something as beautiful, right? Like, well, not look at the flowers, but the body, you know? When a dog looks, when a female dog looks at a male dog's body, it thinks, well, that's very beautiful. What a handsome dog. What a handsome being. When a male dog looks at a female dog, right away thinks, what a beautiful form. This is vipalasa. The, the, just the feeling that something is something that is not beautiful is beautiful. 
the human body as well. We look at the human body that is made up of 32 kinds of not very beautiful things. Even the skin is not very beautiful, but we try to powder it up and clean it up and make it smell nice and look nice and pretend that it's somehow beautiful. So there arises the sanya. Once the sanya arises, then there is the, the thought. What a beautiful body. That person is very beautiful. And then finally there is the view. Where you, where you believe, you, you believe that thought. You say that thought is correct. Yes. The ditti is the reaffirmation of the thought. Because you can have the thought and then you can say, well, that's silly. I know the, the, the mind, the body is not beautiful. And so you can disregard your own thoughts. They are also not self, no? But when you agree with the thought, you reaffirm it and you say, yes, indeed, that the body is beautiful. This is Ditti Vipalasa. And you can see how that's, it goes in levels. Sanya Vipalasa is not so bad. Chitta Vipalasa is getting worse. But the real one is Ditti, wrong view. This vipalasa you do away with through kaya nupasana. Right? So again, remember these four, they correspond with the four satipatthanas. So when you practice mindfulness of the body, watching your feet when you walk, watching your, your stomach when you sit, your breath when you sit, when you watch the body, this does away with the misperception of beauty. And the, the, the without the perception of beauty, there's no thought. Without the thought, there is no view. It does away with these three vipalasa. So getting on to vedana, we're asking, we're talking about vedana here. Where, how does vedana come in? Well, the second one, sukha vipalasa, is the perversion of, of happiness. You think of something that is not happiness as being happiness, something that is pleasant and satisfying, something that is not satisfying and is not pleasant as being pleasant as being satisfying. So we think of beautiful sights, as we think of these flowers, for example, as being satisfying, we think of music as being satisfying, we think of uh, perfume and good food, and soft touch, and we think, think of certain thoughts and ideas. All of the six senses, we think of them as satisfying. And this is a perversion. It's wrong. So we have the sense that they're satisfying, then we have the thought, what a beautiful flower, or, or uh, what a beautiful sound, what a pleasant smell, what delicious food. This food is so makes me so happy when I eat this food. And then we have the view that happiness can be found. Now among Buddhists the views is the view is not so strong. But in the world, food, the view that food, good food, is true happiness. It's a very powerful one. Even worse than that, the body, you know, the feeling, physical feelings, physical pleasures. So the idea that sexual interaction is, is actually satisfying. This idea is, is prevalent in most places, most people. 
even the view in the world, they have the view that this is the height of happiness. Not just happiness, but it's the pinnacle of happiness. Very difficult, this one, to do away with it. In fact, this one, uh, there's special difficulty here. And so this is why people will focus on Vedana. Because when you focus on Vedana, it helps you see through this. When you watch the, the actual feelings that you're, just, that you're thinking of, you know, when the food, when you're eating the food, uh, and you think this food is making me happy, you know, this food is so satisfying to eat this food, now you look at it actually that satisfaction. You look at the things that could possibly be satisfying, and that is the Vedana, the Sukha Vedana, you know, Somanasa Vedana. And you watch that. And when you see it arising and ceasing, you realize that actually that Vedana is a very small part of the experience. And actually eating is one of the most stressful uh, parts of our life. If you're mindful of it and you watch what's actually going on, there's quite a bit of stress involved. Even just in the desire to eat. When you salivate, when you think of the food, and when you uh, become agitated, and when you taste the food and chew on it, and you become, you become pleased by it, the moment after you're pleased by it, it starts to get too much, it gets mushy and it gets bland and, and the taste overwhelms you, not bland, the taste overwhelms you, and quickly you have to swallow it. Very quickly we swallow it because it, it actually is starting to become stressful. You know, try keeping the same mouthful of food in your mouth for five minutes. It will not make you happy for five minutes, I guarantee it. And the same goes with all the senses. You come to see impermanence in regards to permanent suffering. So you see the truth in regards to Vedana, that it's not, it isn't capable of satisfying you. Yampanani chang dukkang viparinama dhammang. Vedana is anichang dukkang viparinama dhammang. And therefore, it's not, it's not me, it's not mine, it's not under my control, not worth clinging to. So then we, 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 this is why we would focus on Vedana. We focus on Vedana to overcome this belief in satisfaction. But we still have two other satipatthana. So the conclusion that I would come to is that in fact Vedana is... is uh, the, gen the first conclusion is that in general, Vedana is simply one of the four satipatthanas, and it has its function, it has its role. Altogether there are four satipatthana, and each one of them plays a role. This is why the Buddha taught all four. You know, when he taught sati, he said you should have mindfulness of the four satipatthanas. So the first conclusion is we could just say in general that it's just one of the four, but there's more. There's there's more to that, so I'll explain a little bit more after this. But anyway, the third vipalasa is nitya vipalasa, the delusion of permanence. And this is overcome by uh, mindfulness of the mind. So nityang doesn't, doesn't necessarily refer just to permanence, it means stability. 
Now, I don't believe that this glass of juice is going to last forever. But if this is my glass, then I believe that it's stable and it's something I can depend upon. And of course, we know this leads to problems that if I really like that glass, then it, it's subject to breaking. No, I mean, if it breaks, then we know that I'll be upset. But there's something deeper. It's, there's, impermanence is understood on, an, on a far deeper level. You know, if, uh, and it goes back to the same thing I was talking about before. The, the juice, you know, I think this is something I can get, and it's stable and lasting. So here now I'm drinking the juice, and I can drink it for several seconds. And I think of that act of drinking the juice as pleasant. It's pleasant because it's stable. It's, it's, it's something that I, I can experience for several seconds. When you study the mind, you see that even that's not the case. And so this is why when I was talking about eating food, you see that the pleasure only arises and ceases. In fact, this glass isn't just something that is going to last for a month or, or a year or so on. It actually doesn't last more than a moment. The truth of life these flowers are only real at the moment when I see them. You know, reality in Buddhism, the Buddha's teaching, Theravada Buddhism, is based on experience. You know, we're taught nowadays to think of reality in terms of the three physical dimensions plus time. You know, we have independent of the observer. Right? This is what uh, Newton and Descartes and all these Western scientists have come up with. The Buddha didn't, wasn't in line with these people. No. The Buddha had said, Manopubangama Dhamma. And if you talk about reality, you need mind first. There has to be the observing mind. So they discarded this. This was actually probably the way people saw things up until the time of Newton or, or Descartes, or these, whoever it was, when they started to see that reality seemed to be working without the observer. And they jumped on this bandwagon and for hundreds of years they said, they pushed and they argued that if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, it really does make a sound. Meaning you don't need a person, you don't need an individual. This glass exists here. Whatever it is that's underlying that, at first they thought it was atoms, and then they split the atom, and then they thought it was subatomic particles, and then they saw the particles were actually waves, and then they discovered quantum theory, and now they don't know what the heck it is. But the people who discovered quantum theory last century, sorry to get a little bit off track, but it's quite interesting from a point of view of Buddhism. What they said is that without an observer, you can't even begin to talk about the particles. It means you can't begin to talk about the glass. They wouldn't say that, they wouldn't go that far, but I would. But you can't begin to talk about the physical reality without talking about the, without first uh, 
having an observer. It's the only way it can make sense, that in fact the observer is what comes first. Now it's obviously not everything. We know the five niyamas, right? There are niyamas that go no matter what, but the reality of it is dependent on the mind. And, and in the suttas, the Buddha says, with, when the mind disappears, the world disappears. That's it. The mind is what begins everything. So when we focus on the mind, we, we, we see this. We come to see that the mind is, is the, fastest thing in, the fastest thing in existence. It arises and ceases so quick. One moment you'll be sitting here enjoying what I say, and then the next moment, whoop, your mind gets bored and says, I think I'll go home for a bit. And it starts thinking about your work tomorrow morning, or you know, maybe a movie that's on tonight, or food that you have waiting for you, what am I going to cook, or what am I going to eat, or so on. The, the mind is in charge. You want to sit here and enjoy the talk for one hour, you've got to deal with your mind. You've got to bargain with your mind and, and wrestle with your mind. And the practice of meditation is, is very much wrestling with your mind. The fourth vipalasa is uh, atta vipalasa, so the perversion of self. And this is overcome by the study of the dhammas, the observation of dhammas. The dhammas are realities, but specifically realities in regards to meditation, in regards to progress on the path. We have the niwarana dhammas, which constitute our many negative emotions or harmful emotions. And they, they make up very much of our, what we ordinarily call our personality. You know, we, we tell people what kind of a person we are. We say, I have a short temper. I thought it was something you could measure in inches or maybe centimeters. Some people millimeters. I have a short temper. No? I have a short temper. It's very much about self. People say, I like this, I like that. I'm a... Some people are rice people, some people are bread people. Huh? I like bread, I like rice. I like country music, I like classical music. So we cling to these as self. And when you watch them, when you watch the hindrances or when you watch the senses, you're able to break this apart. You're able to see that our emotions, our, our, all of the aspects of our personality are just more experiences. The experience of anger is just an experience of anger. The experience of fear is just an experience of fear. It's only when we string them together and, and react to them and, and cultivate this chain reaction, this habitual reactivity that we create a personality. The personality doesn't really exist. And so watching Dhamma, we, we see this. These are, these are the four uh, vipalasas, and this, are how they, this is how they are overcome. Now a sotapanna does away with ditti vipalasa, so they don't have the wrong view. A sotapanna won't believe that 
the body is beautiful, you know, they know that it's not. But they still might feel, they still might feel that it's beautiful, they still might say, oh, experience it as beautiful, sanya. And they still might think that's beautiful, but then they quickly remind themselves, no, it's not, you know that it's not. But it's only an arahant who does away with all of these. Anyway, this is why, this is a very good reason why the Buddha taught the four Satipatthana. The, the, other, the second reason, and I'll maybe end it on this so you can have time to ask questions before we get into the meditation section, is in regards to how you might understand uh, the need to focus on Vedana or focus on any one of the four Satipatthanas, because they are not equally prescribed. You know this um, teaching on the character types, the charita. You know? In samatha meditation there are six charitas. And based on them you should only practice certain types of meditation, you should not practice other types of meditation. So some people will try to throw away all four of the satipatthana and say, oh no, I, practicing satipatthana it's not, it doesn't uh, suit my character type, it doesn't suit my temperament, they would say. Because they think it's like the other meditations, you can, you can practice something instead of them, but it's not possible. Satipatthana meditation is for the practice of vipassana. It doesn't hold to the rules of samatha. And so the commentary gives new character types, new charitas. It gives two charitas, four, well, four, total four charitas. And it says, based on these four, you practice the four satipatthanas. So the first two charitas are raga charita and diti charita. Raga means someone who is passionate. It doesn't just mean raga in terms of, of the loba side, but it can also mean dosa. So passion, passion here means someone who is emotional. Most lay people will fall on the emotional side. And the other one is ditti charita, which is uh, intellectual or, or, or views, someone who has a bigger problem with views. And most monks will fall on this side, most uh, religious people will fall on this side. But even still, it, 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 that's only a generalization. Individually, some people are very much attached to their wrong views, or views in general, and some people are, so they argue and they debate and they hold on to their views. And some people are just very emotional. So if you argue with them, they might hit you or they yell at you, you know, before they would argue about it. So these two charita are used to practice the four satipatthana. And there's another, the other factor is whether a person has strong wisdom or weak wisdom. So if a person is of a sharp mind, you know, maybe old people or young, very young people, or people who are not well educated, or who are, who are simple-minded, some people just don't like to think. They're just happy with simple ideas and concepts. This sort of person we call weak wisdom. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means their, their mental capacity is not very strong. Mostly people who haven't, it's a difference between education. If people who haven't gone to school, they've never exercised their minds, their brains are still fairly uh, untrained, which is fine. But 
these people, if someone has weak wisdom and raga charita is, is passionate, then they should practice kaya nupasana. Because the body is coarse, it's easy to understand, easy to, to observe. And it's going to have to do with one's uh, view of beauty, right? So it's going to have to do with raga. If someone has strong wisdom, but raga, charita, then they should, then they should practice vedana nupasana. So if you're wondering when and why you should focus specifically on vedana, it's as the commentary says, it's when you're this type of person, a person who has passionate, who is passionate, but has strong wisdom. And this person, it doesn't mean they shouldn't focus on the other three, but this is where they will get the most benefit because it's where their biggest problem is. Raga has to do with the body and it has to do with Vedana. If someone has Diti Charita and with weak wisdom, then they should focus on the mind. Because the mind is simple, just thinking, just you know, planning or thinking about the past. Not very difficult to understand, relatively simple. If someone has strong wisdom, Diti Charita, they should focus on Dhamma Nupasana. Because dhammas are more complicated. You have the nivarana dhammas, you have the senses, the, the aggregates, you have uh, the uh, bodhjangas. No, so you have many things that many things to think about. This requires strong wisdom. The other reason why you should separate the two. There's two more charitas, and then I'll finish here. Samatha yanika and vipassana yanika. These aren't exactly charitas, but they're yanika. Yanika means someone who takes a vehicle. So someone who takes samatha as their vehicle versus someone who takes vipassana as their vehicle. This refers to the past of the person, the upanisaya. So it could mean what they've practiced in past lives, it could mean what they've practiced up until now. When they come to practice the Satipatthana, you have to look, the teacher has to look and see, have they been practicing Samatha before this? If so, we call them Samatha Yanika. Have they been practicing Vipassana before this? When they come now to us, have they been practicing more Vipassana than Samatha? Then we call them Vipassana Yanika. And again, it goes with wisdom. If they have weak wisdom or strong wisdom, that's the same. So samatha yanika is more on the body and vedana, kaya vedana side. If they have weak wisdom, give them kaya. If they have strong wisdom, give them vedana. So again, focusing on vedana would be because you have practiced samatha. Samatha which is associated with happiness, which is associated with, with uh, the pleasure of the jhanas and so on. The, the equanimity, the the calmness, the tranquility of the jhanas. Uh, even the jhanas, the Buddha said, in the Majjhima Nikaya, he points out that uh, even the jhanas are based on Vedana. And what is the problem with Vedana? Well, this is, you study Vedana, Nupasana, Satipatthana, and you'll see even the jhanas are anichang dukhang anatta. If you practice vipassana, if you're vipassana yanika and weak wisdom, then you should practice citta nupasana. If you practice vipassana before and you 
have strong wisdom, you should practice Dhamma Nupasana. So you can, mostly these are for the teacher to understand. This is why it's so important to, to uh, customize your teaching to the individual. In my tradition, we'll meet with the, with the meditator daily, sometimes have lengthy interviews to, to discuss and to answer problem, answer questions the meditator has, to fix their problems, to adjust their practice, and to help them to stay on the right path and to gain positive results. So for a teacher to know these is important. But for the meditator, we can be reassured by the fact that the Buddha didn't really make discrimination between the four. He taught all four of the Satipatthana, and he taught that we should all practice these four in order to find the five, the five goals of, of, of the Buddha's teaching. This is to purify our minds, to be free from sorrow and lamentation and sadness and depression, to overcome mental and physical suffering, to find the right path and to, to attain the goal of Nibbāna, which the Buddha said, yadidang cattaro satipatthāna. The path that leads to these five, this is the four satipatthāna. So that's what I teach, and that's what I'd like to lead you in meditation uh, after we've uh, had some time discussing and people have had time to ask questions. So uh, I think that's enough for me to talk now. I'll let you uh, tell me, uh, ask me questions, and, and you can comment or so on as you, as you like. No questions means either one of two things. It means that my talk was so good that you're speechless, or it means it was so bad you don't want to hear anything else I have to say. <laughs> or it just means you're afraid to talk in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask you a question. It's not, not really a question. It's a clarification that I need. I think this doubt or confusion may be holding in the minds of uh, many of us in the audience. So, uh, how should I start? Now, we have these two terms, wish and the curse. These are common respective of religion, culture, you make birthday wishes, or you do something and you wish for your future uh, lives, some person may offer a 
tray of lotus flowers to Buddha and wish that during the next birth that may he or she be born beautifully or handsomely. And uh, in the Buddha scriptures, in the Dhamma scriptures, Jataka Katas, we have evidence of uh, such things taking effect. And on the contrary, we have people full of hatred who have made bad wishes. Hmm. And it had gone from birth to birth in Kodavarga. The Nidana Kata of Nahivere Nevera and it gives us a typical example. So you have these two sides the wish, which is bad, the curse. Then, uh, with regard to all activities, all things that happen in the world, we know that they are governed or they happen, they can be explained under the, under the five Niyama Dhammas, that everybody, everything doesn't happen as a result of karma. So, with that as it may, I would like to bring you to this uh, upper level, where we all know that any Buddha will receive Niyata Vibharana at some stage of his uh, samsaric journey. You know that uh, Bodhisattva, hmm. Gautama Buddha received uh, Niyata Vibharana at the foot of uh, Deepankara Buddha. Hmm. So in a Niyata Vibharana, uh, I would say it is a forecast. It is something like a very authentic proclamation that will not change, nothing can change. So the Buddha says, this person, uh, so many kalpas hence, at such and such a place, under such circumstances, will attain Buddhahood. So we know that uh, by reading the scriptures. So nothing can change. It's not a mere forecast. And also, there are some of us who think that, uh, who. It's a day-to-day -day common thing that you can see that many people who engage in all the bad practices, they flourish without any bad effects. And on the other hand, uh, there are people who do good things, nothing good comes by them. And they think, why we continue like this? Let's take things easy. So there is this confusion in the minds of many people. Uh, why and how is it that uh, when a Niyata Vivarana is given, that proclamation is given, that nothing can change it. Nothing can change it. And it happens. And even the name of, uh, name under which the Bodhisattva becomes a Buddha is, it is like a pre-programmed thing. So many people have this, uh, you know, our life is pre-programmed, right? Even mm. if we do not do anything, if we are destined to be at this place, we will go there. There is a single saying, uh, even if you dash him, on a rock, he will not die, mm -hmm. if, you are, if he is not destitute, something like that. Mm -hmm. So all these things actually sometimes uh, demean a person's, you know, uh, work to, be, to lead a good, good life. They mm -hmm. become lazy sometimes. Right. So how do you put all that in the proper perspective mm. so that you will have more light shed on that? But anyone who takes up determinism as a view is going contrary to the Buddhist teaching, first of all. So if you think that everything is predestined, then you are taking up a wrong view. But what the Buddha did, what Buddha Dipankara did, 
was just like if a if a car is going down the road at 100 miles per hour and there are no no other cars on the road and suddenly it veers to the side and it's headed for a tree you can be sure you can see if you look around you can see there's nothing going to stop that car from hitting the tree it's too powerful it's too quick you couldn't get in a car and and intercept it that's the the, the that's the strength of the niyata uh, bodhisattva a bodhisattva who is certain to become a buddha and it, it it seems like oh the buddha just hands these out left and right oh he'll become a bodhisattva then he'll become a bodhisattva he'll become a buddha then it's not like that this was remember sumedha was at the height of humanity if you listen to the buddha he become an arahant in no time he was quite perfected at that moment for a sankhayas ago long long countless time ago uh, and then on top of that he gave up his life by lying down in the mud totally sacrificed himself let the buddha walk on him which is something that not many people could do so the power there was like this car hurtling towards the tree it's so far beyond any other power in the universe that even though there is the potential to say I'm going to come in here and I'm going to change this the Buddha with his omniscience could see that that wasn't going to happen that's one way of looking at it the other thing that's interesting is how can someone see the future at all when I was young I had an experience where I went into some kind of state and I floated out of my body and watched my brother drop a bowl of cereal onto the floor I was just doing my own meditation that I just made up on my own and then I came back into my body and I got up and it was like I woke up from a dream and I stood up and I walked downstairs and I looked and there was my brother pouring a bowl of cereal and I watched him drop it on the floor again so I had seen it happen before it actually happened how, can, how is that possible? If we, if, if, if we don't subscribe to determinism, how is that possible? Well, they have this interesting idea of um, the future actually affecting the past. Time might not be exactly what we think it is. This, I, I, this is a bit heretical. I can't say that, the, that Buddhism necessarily supports this, but it doesn't deny it. The idea that the fact that Buddha became enlightened now was a cause you know, it arises afterwards and is a condition for something in the past was actually a condition for Dipankara to make that, that determination you understand? the fact that Buddha became a Buddha you know, Gautama became a Buddha affected what Dipankara said in the past you know, the future can actually that's how you can see the, that's one explanation of how you can see the future the fact that it happened made me see that it was going to happen. Hard for us to understand when we think of things linearly in terms of time, but it is possible to see the future. And how is that possible if it hasn't happened yet? Why do you see something like that? It can be because the future actually affects the past.
It's interesting. But I think the, the, the more important point is that these are not, we shouldn't dwell too deeply on this. You know what the Buddha said about kamma? He said it is achintaya, it's something that you should not think about. Only a Buddha can understand the, the, the workings of karma. How we, should under, how we should understand karma, what we can understand, and what, do, what does away with all of our doubts about cause and effect, is how the mind works on a momentary level, a momentary basis. If you want to know that what is the problem with anger or what is the problem with greed, don't look at a person's life. These people have so much karma of all kinds. Just to be born a human, you have so much good karma accumulated. Well, you have the result of the karma that you've done in the past. It means you've done so many good things just to become a human being. Being a human being is like a full, having a full gas tank. You can go anywhere you want. You want to drive to the monastery, you want to drive to the casino, you want to dri drive off a cliff, you can drive where you want. You have a full, gas of, full tank of gas. They won't have the same result. You still have a nice car, and you can do that. We have power to do these things. You want to become a rich person, you have the, the full tank of gas to, to, to use. But you're going to use up your gas. If you don't ever fill it up again, if you don't ever do more good deeds, it will run out. But how you can understand karma is on a momentary basis. How you can see it happening is you look and you watch anger, you watch greed, you watch delusion, you watch how it affects your mind. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen when you look for one minute or one day or one year. No. Even a sotapanna can take up a, a sotapanna, someone who most of us think is just the hardest thing in the world, even a sotapanna can take up to seven lifetimes to really understand these things. But this is how you can see it. You can watch and you can see. And even in a few days, you'll begin to see, you'll begin on this process. This is why a sotapanna doesn't break the five precepts. Because even at a sotapanna level, they don't need seven lifetimes to understand that these are really bad karma. These things have a very, very bad, they have no good to them. These are very dangerous, not dangerous, but very uh, harmful things to, to uh, partake in. And so Sotapanna will, will have seen enough of cause and effect through their meditation practice to be able to give up the, f the five uh, evils of the five, mentioned in the five precepts and keep the five precepts purely. So, uh, the way it should be understood is through meditation. You know, if you want to know the truth of karma, it's not a theory, it's not watching and looking and taking surveys of who was evil and who got good results, you'll never figure it out that way. It's like a scientist cannot, uh, you know, has to take measurements at the atomic and subatomic levels in the same way in, in Buddhism, we ha karma, we have to take it at the momentary level, see what's really going on, because that's where reality is. It's not in the person or in the, the lifetime. It's in momentary abhidhamma, moments of consciousness. Did that help? Yes, thank you. If 
I have spurred your thought faculties, maybe you, some of you would have. <coughs> you may even ask a question in vernacular, and I and Santo try to translate it. Sir. Yes, sir. You were explaining about uh, Vedana. And now it really comes Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. And, uh, and there's another five things comes like Pasa Vedana, uh, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. Uh, in that, now these five things. It comes in a jiffy. When you look mm. at a thing, all the five things come in a jiffy. Yes. So it's no time to. I mean, we, it, it comes automatically. So where is the where is the turning point mm -hmm. to get it the proper way? Right. Very good question. Well, first of all, it doesn't just come. Uh, sequentially. Bhatija Samupada is limited. Anyone who understands Bhatija Samupada as, as linear doesn't really understand uh, causality. You know, if you read the Mahapatthana, 24 types of causality, not just one thing causes another after a moment. So for example, uh, Pasa and Vedana occur together, not one after the other. Right? And Vijnana is also with Vedana. You know? Nama Rupa also with Vedana. So it's not describing moment-to-moment -moment things. Now, the, from a point of view of Paticca Samupada, it's at Vedana. That's where the choice can be made. Because uh, Pasa has to lead to Vedana. They go together. But Vedana doesn't have to lead to Tanha. And this is where Avijja comes in. This is why it's not linear, because you have to pull Avijja up with Vedana. Vedana plus Avijja leads to Tanha. When you don't understand the Vedana, when you don't see it as just Vedana, or we don't even have to say Vedana, when you don't understand the experience uh, for what it is, you know, like the Buddha said, Dubahiya dite ditamatang bhavisati. Why he said this, this is, this is vidya, this is understanding. When you understand what you see is just seeing. And this is how we practice our meditation, so we remind ourselves. At the moment when you see, you remind yourself seeing. At the moment of hearing, you remind yourself hearing. This is what we call sati. Sati means to remind yourself. It means to remember. Remember that is seeing. Remember the seeing aspect. Not the good or the bad or the me or the mine, which would then lead to tanha. In the Abhidhamma, it explains it a little bit differently. You know, If you've studied Abhidhamma, there are 17... Mind, thought, mind moments, no. And there's one mind moment is the deciding one, and that's where it's either good or bad. But Abhidhamma, you know, you break it up like that, and it sounds like determinism again. It sounds like you've got the sequence, and it's hard to understand. That's just an explanation of what's going on. From an experience, from a point of view of experience, when you see how you, how you, how, how the ordinary process goes is seeing, and then uh, deciding or judging. That, you say, so seeing arises, you're aware of the seeing, and then the next moment, you say, that was nice, or you say, that was awful, or you say, that was me, or that was mine. 
you know, you have some recognition of it, some sankhara will arise. That is the moment of, where the mind has what we might call free will. The mind can decide to some extent. Now it has habits and those habits will, will come into effect. But at that moment, the mind can decide to say this is good, this is bad, or so on. And this is how we cultivate habits. It can also decide to say, this is this. So you see something and you know you see it and then you say, that was seeing. Which is what the Buddha said to Bahia. Remind yourself, that is seeing. Gachanto va gachami pachanati. When walking, you should know gachami, I'm walking. Nisino va nisino miti pachanati. When sitting, you should know sitting. Do you know that you're sitting? Sitting. When you remind yourself, sitting, your mind is pure at that moment. That thought process has been cleaned. Next thought process, well, depends. So, by repeated application in this way, you begin to purify your mind, and you begin to change your habit. The old habits will still push and still conflict, but eventually you change your habit until your mind is clear enough that you can see the truth, and clear enough to become a sotapanna. I'm still not seen clear enough to become enlightened, but enlightened as a sotapanna. And then you keep clearing and clearing and, and, and understanding and you become a Sakitakami and an Anagami and an Arahant. The path is still the, sati, the four Satipatthana. You know, as the Buddha said at the end of the Satipatthana Sutta, this leads all the way to Arahantship, seven days. <laughs> if you really practice it, seven days. You can become an Arahant. Mm. Mm. And when you make it right, you say vidya. Right. And when you look at it, but the first thought, it comes automatically. But the second thought, you can turn it down. That's right. Correct? Yes. You can't. You can't not see something when all the when all of the things are there. But the next moment, if you're ready for it, if you're, but it still takes cultivation. You know, if you've had instruction and you've. Uh, practiced so that you're ready for it, the next moment you can say seeing. Remind yourself, that's just seeing. It's not good, it's not bad, it's not me, it's not mine. But no, the, the interesting thing is you can't even be mindful in the present moment. We say meditate in the present moment, it's not possible. Technically speaking, it's the next moment. It's already happened, you've already seen, it's the next moment that you're going to be mindful. You can't, you can't change the... I mean, that that's, that that's makes sense, right? Because you have to see it in order to discriminate, in order to have wisdom about it, in order to understand it. The seeing has to come first. influences within 
and how you don't really say things, uh, outside sources make you say things, and how you, you don't really do anything, outside sources make you say, mm. do things. That's, the, uh, that's what I find awkward to follow, and uh, for me, because my understanding, it uh, neglects uh, and, uh, It's yeah. one of the wrong views, as mentioned by the Buddha. If you say yeah. uh, everything is caused by another, so it, it by outside source. When you say like that, doesn't it like neglects your? Absolutely, it's wrong. It's wrong view. It's wrong view to say that 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 everything have, comes from the outside. That it's because of God or 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 the, any aspect external from the being those uh, though it's it's and it, it shows that they don't they've never studied the 24 types of causality you know so absolutely the external world influences but if that were the case there would be no path to enlightenment you know with all these wrong views then you have to ask yourself how could you become enlightened how could you possibly become enlightened there's no nibbana nibbana niyama no there's no, there's no, uh, there's no orderliness of, of attaining nibbana. Otherwise, we'd all have attained nibbana long ago. We've been in samsara for for count for a, a time that you can't even recall, and we've never attained nibbana. So uh, it has to take some something else. It can't be an external cause. Otherwise, you just have people becoming enlightened at random. You know. But it's, there's an orderliness. It has to come from uh, from your own practice. But you know. they also say uh, that you and I don't really exist, so they don't take Well, the first thing, yeah, which is again another wrong view. <laughs> uh, the first thing you have to you have to we has to be said, or maybe has to be asked, is when you talk about groups of people discussing the Dhamma. Are these groups of people who have actually studied themselves and come to see, have they ever looked at reality and studied it to the extent that they can verify the things that they're saying? Because books won't give you the truth. If you listen to people talking and giving talks, I can point out handfuls of, of errors, inaccuracies, misleading statements, things that are just wrong. And it comes because they, they, they're going by theory or view. You know, this is why the Buddha said to the Kalamas, don't take things just on authority. If you know for yourself the way things are, are you thinking my thoughts? You're thinking my thoughts? Do you know what I'm thinking of right now? Yeah. Am I thinking your thoughts? Then what do you mean there's no you and no I? Right? You, have, you can't go by what someone else believes. You can't even go by what the Buddha believes. The Buddha never said there's no self, by the way. He never said that. Doesn't mean he believed there was a self. But he didn't say that because that's not how you teach people. That's not how you adjust your mind. You adjust your mind by looking at your mind, by looking at reality, by looking at your reality. This is my reality, not yours. You know? one, one meaning of ekayanamaga means you have to practice it for yourself. Atahiyatononato. You have to. So... How do you, how do you, how would you po possibly uh, reconcile atahiyatanonato with, with the idea that there's no you or no I? 
Now, philosophically speaking, it may be true, it may be uh, theoretically true that there is no self, but that's not where you should direct your mind. That doesn't help you to think that. It helps you to see all aspects of your experience, not mine, no, your experience, as impermanent suffering and non-self. Non-self mainly in the sense that it's not controllable. You know, looking at the aspect that, that you, you're not in control, that there's no control going on. You want your mind to stay calm and it's, it's thinking. You, know, you want the pain to go away and it comes stronger. This is what causes people to let go of self, let go of views of self, to stop seeing things as self. That's more important. Because you can believe all you want that there is no self. You still have ditti vipalasa, jitta vipalasa, and sanya vipalasa. You still have the misperception. Maybe not ditti vipalasa, but you'll still have the wrong thoughts and the wrong, the wrong con uh, perceptions. And your view, will, your view can and will change because it's not based on reality. It's not based on experience. These people who discuss this, next life they, may forget it all, they will forget it all and they might take up wrong views. They might become Christians or, or you know, have ideas that God will save us, this kind of thing. Is yeah, one may call it the scream of Vinyanas or whatever, still each and every one of us is uh, responsible for our own thoughts. Is your stream the same as my stream? No. No. So you have yours, I have mine. That's the idea of non-self is, non-self is a, a practice. You know, uh, It may be true that there is no self, but that's not how we teach and that's not how we practice. That's not how we should teach and that's not how we should practice. We should practice to see the five aggregates as impermanent suffering and non-self. That's enough. And we should not hold to views of self, for sure. But those will go away once you start. Anyone who holds a view of self, it's always in regards to the five aggregates, one or the other. When you focus on the five aggregates, you'll let go of all those. Someone else was. I heard someone making noise. Yes, ma'am. It's about what? What do, what is the Pali word for bear attention? Put you on the spot. Huh? Anyone? Bear attention. I know this word. People use this. It's, sati doesn't translate as bear attention. Attention, it doesn't mean sati. Sati doesn't mean attention. Anyone who says it does is mistranslating. Manasikara. I would say manasikara. But bear is, is an odd one. Yoniso could mean bear, no? Yeah, maybe that's where it comes from. Yoniso manasikara. But yoniso, yoni is the womb. no? So this means... When you, uh, when you take something in mind, you know, this is a flower. Well, that's not yet the root, the womb, where it's born. Where it's born doesn't mean taking it back to the lotus seed. It means taking it back to the root is seeing. The, the womb of this is seeing. So the bare attention, you might say, is going back to the essence of it. So in regards to Vedana, yoni somanasikara means to see Vedana as Vedana. That's all. 
when you have an experience, in regards to Vedana, there's nothing special needs to be done. It's in regards to the experience you have to see the Vedana. When you have pain in your leg, if you see it has an injury or as a, a, a discomfort or a problem, if I sit like this, I'm going to hurt my leg. If I sit like this, I can't bear it. I, 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 this kind of thing. Then you have atyoni somanasikara. In regards to Vedana, you have atyoni somanasikara. Improper attention. You're not getting to the root of it. But when you focus on Vedana, then you, you get to the root of it. You see that it's just Vedana. Vedana su Vedana nupasi. Ati Vedano, Ati Vedanati. Wow. Just, just knows this is Vedana. Patisati Mataya Anisito Javiharati. Patisati Mataya, to just know it as it is, to remember it as it is, Sati. Anisito Javiharati, to dwell without clinging to anything in the world. Natsakinchi Loke Upadhyati. It's in the Satipatthana Sutta, if you read. Not clinging to anything in the world, just seeing this is Vedana. So, so this is accomplished when you remind yourself. You use sati means to remind yourself. It comes from the root sar, which means to remember. So you're remembering the root, the yoni of the object. So when you remind yourself, pain, 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 your mind focuses on the root, which is the pain, and that's it. It doesn't have room. The word mindful is, is useful, even though it's not a good translation, because your mind is full. When you're, rem when you're remembering it, you've filled in that slot where you would otherwise judge. There's the experience, and then there's the slot, the time where you could judge, you filled, you filled that. And that's full with just mind, with just sati. Sorry? Mm. Well, bare attention is is more, or yoni somanasikara is is more of a general uh, description of the process of mindfulness. When you're mindful, you have uh, you have yoni somanasikara. You are manasikara. Manas means in the mind. I'm, I'm sorry, manasi means in the mind. Kara means to make or to, to, to perform, or to, in this case to keep. To keep something in mind, that's what manis, manasikara is. Manasikara is, is, is present in every jitta, every vinyana has, has manasikara. But yoniso manasikara means keeping it in mind with wisdom, keeping it in mind at its, at its essence. And that is accomplished through the practice of satipatthana. At the moment when you remind yourself this is you know gachami tipajanati when walking one knows gachami I am walking nisinomi I am sitting when one knows that dukkha vedana has arisen when one recognizes dukkha vedana has arisen not I am in pain or I am suffering or so on. this is the difference between yoni so ayoni so if you read the sabasava sutta it's quite quite uh, useful uh, quite a good sutta to read uh, it talks about the difference between yoni somanasikara and ayoni somanasikara because ayoni somanasikara 
uh, leads one to think of self, ask questions about was I in the past, will I be in the future, am I now, this kind of thing, who am I, what am I, you know, it, it deals with self. If one has yoni somanasikara, then they just see things as arising and ceasing. They see the six senses as impermanent suffering and all so. So in, in our tradition, we take this as, a, as a, a practice to remind ourselves using this mantra, a mantra that fo actually focuses on the experience. So you'd say to yourself, pain, pain, and that reminds you that it's just pain. And you can see it works quite well to keep you just with the pain. Clear comprehension comes from sati. And we, we, I'd, I think I'd translate it not as clear comprehension. Um, maybe full awareness would be better. Um, or comprehensive awareness. That's interesting. Clear comprehension. Maybe it works. Because sampajanya means to know something fully and completely and rightly. So full and right, uh, right comprehension maybe. So you have sati sampajanya. But sati has to, without sati you don't give rise to banya. Sampajanya is, is banya. And that has to come from sati. So at the moment, it... That's from I would say that's from an Abhidhamma point of view, but, but in terms of the sutta, uh, they're used interchangeable, interchangeably, you know, like when we talk about when walking, when going, walking forward and backward, one has sampajanya, sampajanakari. But that's only you know, explanation of, uh, a general explanation of the practice. Technically, in order to, for that to happen, there has to be sati, which the Buddha has already talked about. Kachanto va gachami bhajanti. That's the sati part. When one knows it as I am walking. Uh, when one knows the vedana as vedana, when one knows the thought as the thought, then there is the sampajanya. The general, one has a general understanding of things arising and ceasing. One is able to cut through the diti manatanha, the the things that cause uh, cause the the weepalasa to arise. If you don't have sati sampajanya. Every wholesome mind has sati in it. So if you don't have sati, I think every mind has sati in it, I'm not sure. No. Um, if your mind has sati according to the satipatthana, then it's wholesome. If it doesn't, if you don't have this recognition, if you don't have wisdom in the mind, some, some minds are, ethic, are ethically neutral. But, you know, we get into deep Abhidhamma and I don't want to say too much that I'm not clear on, but um, I wouldn't say it has to be full of defilement, but it's most likely going to have loba, dosa or moha in it. So if you like something, that's loba. If you dislike something, that's dosa. 
If you don't understand something or you misunderstand something, that's moha. And these come constantly when we're not mindful. So karma is being performed moment after moment after moment. All sorts of bad karma, which is why we have to f uh, divert ourselves by practicing good karma. This is why dana and sila and even bhavana are so important. Because in the absence of them, we're constantly creating akusala karma. Well, they're all given samma because there is there is wrong in in regards to each aspect of the, fa the path. There is a wrong way or a wrong aspect. Micha sati would just mean paying attention to. Hmm, I don't. I mean, it would be having misattention or or, or misremembrance, remembering things as good. For example, when you say this is good. And you could say, well, that's a kind of sati, but it's not really, it's, it's, it's unmindfulness. You know, you're recognizing it wrongly. You say, this is beautiful. Well, that's, that's wrong remembrance, There's wrong recognition. What about focusing on God and praying? Um, yeah, God's a bad one. A bad, God is, is definitely going to be involved with moha. Because focusing on God is is focusing on not in, not necessarily, but like if your belief that God is going to save you or that kind of thing, that's wrong. But at the moment when you focus on on a concept, you know, if if I say this is a flower, for example, I say, well, this is a flower. That's not micha sati, but it's it's. It's not samma sati either. It's just ordinary sati, or you could even say it's samma sati in a conventional sense, but not in a not in terms of the path. It's when I say that this is if I say this is a duck, then that you could say in a conventional sense that's micha sati. Now, if I keep saying to myself duck, 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 it's very wrong in a, in a conventional sense. But if I keep saying this is good, this is good, this is good, this is mantra, you know. I say, this is beautiful, this is so beautiful, this is so wonderful, this flower is so awesome. That's micha sati. I would suggest that that's the meaning. Yes. Well, they have to go together. If you don't have right effort, sati won't arise. And if sati doesn't arise, there won't be sampajanya. So they, they, yeah, they, they have to go in that order. Atapi means to send the mind to the object, to, to actually have the activity of meditation. This is sort of points out the flaw in the idea that you can just sit there and become enlightened, that meditation is just about letting things be, letting things go, letting things flow. Meditation is an, a work that you have to perform. It's something that takes effort. Atapi is not the word Buddha didn't use the word effort. He used the word uh, something like burning. Or, or atapi means like lighting on fire. You have to be on fire. You have to be to exert yourself. Sorry. 
Now, atapi comes from tapa. Tapa means heat. Su what? Suppress? No, burn. They say it will burn, the, it'll heat up the defilements and melt them away. That's how they say it. They say it, atapi heats up the defilements. and Like um, the, the Buddha used the, the simile of gold. Gold has defilements. The defilements of gold are copper and tin and lead and, and these other metals. And so you have to heat up the gold and remove the defilements. So atapi is like is the heat for the mind. It heats up the mind and allows you to get rid of the defilements. But or melted, heated up anyway. It'll only come up again because of your habits, but your habits have nothing to do with now. Your habits are something that is, you've cultivated in the past. It'll come up because of habits and because of uh, ignorance. Yeah, well, it does completely destroy. I mean, it doesn't, it's just a conventional, but, but you can't think of the defilements as like juice or something. They don't exist. They arise in one moment and they cease. So the moment when you say, for example, in my tradition you say, angry, angry, at that moment there's no anger in the mind anymore. But you're, you're reacting to the anger in such a way that it's not going to go the next step of going out and hitting someone or yelling at someone. You know? So you can't destroy things. They, 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 they arise and cease momentarily, technically speaking. And the, the Visuddhimagga goes into this long discussion of which defilements you actually do away with. When you become an arahant, which defilements do you do away with? If you say future defilements, well, they haven't arisen yet, so how are you to destroy something that hasn't arisen yet? If you say past defilements, well, that's ridiculous. If you say present defilements, this is also, it, it, they, they, in the moment when you're mindful, uh, or in the moment when the defilements are, you can't be mindful. And in the moment when you're mindful, the defilements have already ceased. So which defilements do you destroy as an arahant? There's this long discussion about this, and it just says, you, you, uh, you, what is it, you cut down, I think it's a tree again, you cut down the tree and you pull up the roots, and so it's not going to grow again. And any growth that might come in the future has been prevented. And then it says, well, are those... Are, are, is that referring to something in the future? It says, no, we don't say, even say that. Anyway, it's, the point is it's a long conversation and it's quite technical with, which ones you get rid of. But um, the, on, the only important thing is that you, you, you do destroy the defilements in the end. And, and clearly, no, at the moment when you have atapi, you're not, it doesn't mean you're getting rid of all the defilements, you know. There I destroyed anger. You destroyed that chain of anger that was going to make you yell at someone. You, just, you stopped that. You cut that. You know, so we say suppressed is also not correct because it's already gone. What do you mean suppressed? But, they, but conventionally the word suppressed is used. You know. Vikambana, I think, is the word, you know, where you, where you uh, suppress the defilements. But it's just a convention. In reality, you're not suppressing them. Yes. Yeah. 
With wisdom you get at the roots. What we're doing, rather, is um, redirecting or straightening the mind, changing our habits. So we have these very strong habits for these things to arise, and that's why they arise and arise and arise. We're just changing it, we're creating a new habit through our meditation. Now, that's, that's the worldly practice. Once that gets strong enough, then the wisdom arises, and that, that totally uproots the defilement. So that's, that's what you would think of then as burning the defilements, roasting them so they're totally gone. But it's not doing that, because there's no cup full of defilements that you boil away, you know. They, they don't exist. All that exists is a moment. But you're just you're uprooting, in the sense that there's no there, 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 there's no potential for them to arise anymore. The anusaya are gone. So something bad comes up, and the root, the thing that would the spark, you know, it's like being covered in gasoline, but you have no light, so it's not dangerous. You know, the, 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 there's no spark anymore. That's what is missing. Even though the same thing arises. The spark is gone, so you, it's 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 thought of as uh, nibbana is like turning off the lamp, right? Is like dousing the lamp. If there's no light, no fire, then there's no light, and there's no uh, there's no heat, there's no burning. That's the thing, huh? You, you, you can't. You can't be sure you're always going to be born as a human. Yeah. In fact, you can be quite sure that you're not going to be born as a human at some point. Because yeah. it's not easy to be born as a human. This isn't the default. It's kind of special to be born at the top of the food chain, to be born a special animal on, on Earth. You get to lord over all the other animals. There's no way unless you become a sotapanna, really. It's the only way to prevent it. I'm sorry to say. Sorry. <laughs> but we can, we can keep going and we can say, well, in this life you can prevent it. Uh, the most certain way is still to practice vipassana meditation. If you practice insight meditation and you get to the second stage of knowledge, which is called pachaya parigahanyana, which means you understand cause and effect, basically you understand kamma, then the, the Visuddhimagga says that you, you become a chula sotapanna. The, the Buddha Gosa says, niya gatiko, means your gati, your rebirth, your, play, your destination in your next life is certain. You will not go to any of the four apayas 
in this life, in the next life. But there's only one lifetime. So you, if you, if you're asking in this life, that's the most certain. Because you know, even Malika, who was such a wonderful person, Malika, who was uh, the queen, you know, because she did one little bad thing, and when she died, she went to hell for seven days. The mind is uncertain. The Buddha said, I've seen people who did very, very small bad deeds and go to hell. And I've seen people who did very, very big bad deeds and went to heaven. You know? it's, uh, it's very complex, you know, because there's so many kamas working together, so many things. Unless you, unless you practice the way out of samsara, you can never find stability in samsara. And that's a delusion, you know. The monks were always going, like Moggallana went up to talk to Saka, you know. And he saw Saka was, had become negligent. And he would say, oh, look at my wonderful uh, mansion and all of these things. And, and Moggallana put his baby toe, you know, put his big toe on the, on the, the mansion and it started to shake and <laughs> fall apart. And Saka, oh, he got all, all frightened. He said, ah, you see, don't become negligent. But the angels are, are even worse than us. They try to find stability and they think of themselves as stable. They forget that it's impermanent. We humans do this as well. We don't, we're not able to think. We're, we're moving too quickly and our minds are too caught up for us to stop and to think about where we're going, for us to stop and be concerned about where we're going. But we have to, we should. You know, mental training is not just a luxury or, or a, an optional. It's a duty of all human beings, all beings. We talk about training the body and, and working out the body, and we do that because we find it useful. We think, well, I've got the body, my body should be well trained. But very few people think to train the mind, when in fact the mind is something we carry around with us quite a bit longer than the body. So training the mind is of far greater importance. This is what meditation is for. It's a, it's a duty, it's, it's something that is a necessary part of our lives. And the Buddha said, Dve me bhikurthurani, there are two duras, two duties. One is to study and the other is to practice vipassana, to gain insight. Those are the only two duties that we have. Okay. All right. So then I'll begin with a meditation teaching. <clears throat> 